With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast is based on actual X-Files cases. Folk tales dating back to the 19th century from the Ozarks describe people being taken away by fireballs. It's supposed to be the spirits of massacred Indians. Those are only legends, Mulder. Why didn't you mention this witch's peg in your report? Because these uh, builds, build with witch's pegs. A lot of these old hill people cling tight to their superstitions. She's not stable. She's one of us now. Part of our town. To X Files Truth. Today's file is Our Town. X File Number Classified. The Plot. In Dudley, Arkansas, government health inspector George Kearns follows his seemingly young lover Paula Gray into the woods. However, Kearns soon finds himself surrounded by lights in the woods. He's killed by an axe wielding assailant wearing a tribal mask. When Kearns is reported missing and a witness claims to have seen Foxfire near Dudley, Fox Mulder and Dana Scully investigate. At the site of the alleged Foxfire, the agents find the ground burnt, though Aarons, the local sheriff, disclaims anything unusual occurring. What's this, Mulder? This witch's peg. Staking it into the ground is supposed to ward off evil spirits. Can I help you, folks? I'm uh, Sheriff Aarons. I saw you back at the turnoff. We're with the FBI. I'm Special Agent Mulder. This is Agent Scully. We're investigating the disappearance of George Kearns. Oh, well, I'm happy to help you with whatever I can, but I'm not sure how much there is to investigate. Well, Sheriff, a man is missing. Well, we didn't find any evidence of criminal activity, and since no body turned up, we just went ahead and filed a missing persons report. Well, why didn't you mention this witch's peg in your report? Because these uh, fields are filled with witch's pegs. A lot of these old hill people cling tight to their superstitions. What about the scorched area? Illegal trash burning. I keep handing out the citations. They keep doing it anyway. It's cheaper to pay the fine than haul it to the dump. So you don't believe it's Foxfire? Sir, Foxfire is nothing more than a ghost story about swamp gas. After visiting Doris, Kearns' wife, 
The agents discover that he was about to recommend a local chicken plant, Chaco Chicken, to be closed down for health violations. While giving the agents a tour of the plant, floor manager Jess Harold claims that Kearns held a vendetta against Chaco Chicken. However, a hallucinatory Paula Gray attacks Harold and is shot by Sheriff Ahrens. The plant's physician, Dr. Vance Randolph, later claims that Paula was suffering from headaches, which Kearns had also reported. Paula's grandfather is the plant owner, Walter Chaco, who gives the agents permission to perform an autopsy. The agents find that Paula suffered from Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, a rare and fatal illness that causes dementia. What baffles Scully is Paula's personnel file, which gives her age as 47 when she appears no older than her mid-twenties. I think we've got something here, Mulder. Take a look at this. What am I looking at? It's a specimen from Paula Gray's brain. She suffered from a rare degenerative disorder called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. It's characterized by the formation of sponge-like holes in the brain tissue. Why didn't they show up on any of her charts? Oh, short of an autopsy, it's a very difficult disease to diagnose. Outside of a textbook, I've only seen infected tissue once, and that was back in medical school. Could this be the reason she attacked Jess Harold? Absolutely. Victims of Creutzfeldt-Jakob suffer from progressive dementia, severe seizures. Is it fatal? This girl would have been dead in a matter of months. Except that Paula Gray was no girl. This is her personnel file, Scully. Check it out. It says here that Paula Gray was born in 1948, which means that this woman, Chaco's granddaughter, was 47 years old. This has got to be some kind of a mistake. Well, let's find out. Her birth certificate should be on file at the Seth County Courthouse. Who knows, Scully? This could turn out to be even more interesting than Foxfire. When the agents nearly collide with a Chaco chicken truck, they find that the driver also suffered from the disease. Noticing the blood red color of a nearby lake, Mulder orders a reluctant Sheriff Ahrens to drag it. Sheriff, what's wrong with this water? Runoff from the plant. Chicken litter mostly, some blood and parts from the birds. Was this river searched after George Kearns disappeared? <laughs> Are you kidding? Talking about a needle in a haystack. I'd like it dragged as soon as possible. Why would you want to do that? See what's in there. Well, listen, that's a filthy job, and I don't particularly want to do it unless I know what it is you're looking for. Hopefully nothing. Look, Sheriff, if you don't want to do it, I can get some of my men down here to do it. I'll do it. They quickly find the bones of nine people, including Kearns. The agents notice that the skeletons are all missing their skulls and that the bones appear to have been boiled. Meanwhile, Randolph and Harold discuss the increase of Kreutzfeldt-Jakob cases and complain about Chaco's inaction. Using FBI records, Mulder and Scully find that 87 people have vanished within a 200-mile radius of Dudley over the past half-century. Mulder suspects that the town's residents are practicing cannibalism in order to prolong life, possibly explaining Paula's youthful appearance. Mulder also realizes that Kearns originally had Jakob disease and the other residents caught the illness after consuming his body. The agents try to search the town's birth records for confirmation of Paula's age but find that they have been destroyed. At Chaco's mansion, Chaco and Harold meet with Doris who tearfully implies that she helped Chaco kill her husband. Chaco instructs her to obstruct the FBI's investigation. 
got to do something about what's happening, Mr. Chaco. People are getting scared. They don't know what to make of things. They're losing their faith, is what it sounds like. It's getting hard to hold on to the way things are going. Three more have gotten sick since yesterday. I lost my granddaughter in this, Jess. So don't tell me what we're up against. Now, I said I'd handle it. I know you. I need to see Mr. Chaco. Oh, Doris. I can't do this anymore, Mr. Chaco. I can't keep lying. It's all right. Just told me what happened. You have nothing to worry about. They're going to think I did it. No, they won't think any such thing. But I did. Mm, no. I helped. He was no good, Doris. He had no values. He didn't fit in here. But he was my husband. That was a price you had to pay. Now, you knew that from the beginning. But those FBI agents... Huh? This town wasn't built in a day. It's not about to fall apart in a day. Well, you're a part of us now. And we're going to take good care of you. She'll be fine. She's not stable. Uh, she's one of us now. Part of our town. Doris calls Mulder, believing that Chaco wants to kill her. After she hangs up, she's attacked by a masked figure. Scully goes to help Doris while Mulder searches for Chaco at his mansion. There he finds the shrunken heads of Kearns and other victims in a cabinet. Mulder receives a phone call from Scully and overhears her being knocked out and kidnapped by Chaco. She's taken to a secluded field where Harold has started a bonfire and led the townsfolk in consuming Doris. Chaco berates them for killing one of their own, but Harold chastises him for allowing the Kreutzfeldt-Jakob epidemic to occur. He has Chaco executed by the masked figure. Scully herself is about to be killed when Mulder arrives and shoots the figure. He is revealed to be Sheriff Ahrens. The townsfolk flee, trampling Harold to death. In narration, Scully explains that Chaco's plant has been closed down by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the 27 Dudley residents have died from Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease. She reveals that Chaco was 93 years old at the time of his death and had spent time with the allegedly cannibalistic Jail Tribe after his transport plane was shot down over New Guinea during World War II. She also states that the remains have never been found. Pending further review, the Chaco processing plant has been closed by the USDA. So far, no evidence of contaminated chicken has been discovered. Though it remains unknown how many citizens participated in the ritual activity, 27 have become fatally ill with Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease. What is known is that a transport plane carrying Walter Chaco was shot down in 1944 over New Guinea. Chaco was the only survivor of that crash. According to naval records, he spent six months with the Jaolei, a tribe whose cannibalistic practices have long been suspected though never proven. Naval records also show that Walter Chaco was born in 1902, making him 93 years old at the time of his death. As of this date, his remains have yet to be found. The final scene suggests that Chaco's remains are being fed to chickens at his plant. 
Hand in your field report. And now for my field report for Our Town. Our Town is a little below average, I would say. I remember not liking it much in the first few times I saw it, but it's okay. It's still a good episode to watch. But compared to X-Files episodes, to other monsters of the week, it's below average. So uh, if you consider five average, it would probably be like a four. Compared to all X-Files episodes, it's a little bit lower than that. And compared to TV shows, it's obviously higher. Uh, it would probably be more like a 7, something like that. Because like I said, it's a good episode, it's just not great. And wasn't a particular favorite of mine. For the sequelizer, I'd say it has a medium potential for a sequel because the town's still there and they could practice cannibalism, even though some of the leaders are dead. But, you know, that's, that could be medium to a high potential. You could definitely continue on with that story, but I'm glad they didn't. So pending any further evidence, this case... Our town is filed closed. Now let's hand it off to Agent Chelsea and see what she has for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully down in the chem lab. Hey everyone, Agent Chelsea here. This week's episode is Our Town. This is an interesting episode. It's actually one of my favorites, so let's jump in, shall we? Now, after the teaser, the episode starts off with a normal scene where Mulder and Scully are discussing their upcoming case. One thing that's different is that Scully says she can't justify why they should be on the case, but not because Mulder chose it, but because their superiors chose it. She thinks that they're trying to undermine his work. Wow, that's something definitely different. Anywho, Mulder doesn't care because this is actually a case he wants. So they head off. Now, can we just applaud Scully for so sorting through all of those sets of bones? That takes a lot of work and skill. It's also a pretty chilling sight to see. Now, why after all that's happened, did she get a bucket of chicken? I don't know. <laughs> With a theory in my head that the disease might have spread through the chicken, I certainly would stay away. <laughs> now, to make a good story and drive the emotion, always have your main character's life be threatened. So, they take Scully. Now, is it kind of annoying that Scully is constantly the damsel in distress? Well, to most people, yes, but to me, I kind of thought of it as, well, this is just Scully's turn, because yes, Scully does get put in these situations quite often, um, but Mulder does too, and I kind of think it's just to kind of, like I said, to drive the emotion, and it's not always Scully that's put in this situation. Mulder has his plenty of share of moments. And I think just this time it was her turn. So I don't think it's a very uh, sexist way of dealing with things. I think it's just to drive the plot and to get you to worry about something and kind of have a climactic scene. 
Now, Mulder's on the hunt. Because, well, when Scully's in danger, he don't mess around. Now, after this case, I don't know how Scully isn't just completely traumatized. She's watched a man in front of her get his head chopped off. And then they secure her head right in there where Mr. Chaco's was. I would be freaking out for weeks. Now, how these both aren't committed by the end of season two or three, I don't know, but... Mulder gets there just in time to save her and frees Scully's head. And they kind of have a moment where they look at each other and just realize that they're okay. Another life and death situation, they've survived. Phew! And that's it for me. Like I said in the beginning, I really liked this episode. It's one of my favorites from season two. It's chilling and very interesting to see a whole town go under this dark influence, all to stay young. I completely believe it. Plus, I like to see Scully whip out her anthropology knowledge. I'll rate this 4.5 out of 5. How did you like the episode? What were your favorite scenes? Be sure to email us at xfilestruth at live.com. Lights don't shine at all in our town. Counterintelligence. Inside information. This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence, with X2.24, Our Town. Original air date May 12, 1995. Written by Frank Spotnitz, directed by Rob Bowman. Many religions believe that the reward for eating flesh is eternal life. Writer Frank Spotnitz began with the premise of cannibalism in a small town inspired by his fondness for the Spencer Tracy movie Bad Day at Black Rock, which also dealt with a town hiding a terrible secret. Spotnitz came across an article in UCLA's research library about salamanders getting sick from eating other salamanders, and he got the idea for the Kreutzfeldt-Jacob disease from his brother. Additionally, some of the material regarding cannibalistic tribes and the discovery of rounded human bones that appeared to have been boiled in pots relates to research Spotnitz had done about the Anasazi, the native people that Chris Carter refers to in our next episode of the same name. The name Chaco Chicken, in fact, was derived from Chaco Canyon, New Mexico, where the Anasazi tribe was believed to have lived and such bones were found. Kreutzfeldt-Jacob disease, or CJD, is a degenerative neurological disorder or brain disease that is incurable and invariably fatal. CJD is at times called a human form of mad cow disease, or bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or BSE. Even though classic CJD is not related to BSE, however, given that BSE is believed to be the cause of variant Kreutzfeldt-Jacob disease in humans, the two are often confused. In CJD, the brain tissue develops holes and takes on sponge-like texture. This is due to a type of infectious protein called a prion. 
Prions are misfolded proteins which replicate by converting their properly folded counterparts. The first symptom of CJD is rapidly progressive dementia, leading to memory loss, personality changes, and hallucinations. This is accompanied by physical problems such as speech impairment, jerky movements, balance and coordination dysfunction, changes in rigid posture, and seizures. The duration of the disease varies greatly, but sporadic CJD can be fatal within months or even weeks. In some people, the symptoms can continue for years. In most patients, these symptoms are followed by involuntary movements and the appearance of an atypical diagnostic electroencephalogram tracing. Most victims die six months after initial symptoms appear, often of pneumonia due to impaired coughing reflexes, and about 15% of patients survive two or more years. The symptoms of CJD are caused by the progressive death of the brain's nerve cells, which is associated with the buildup of abnormal prion proteins forming amyloids. When brain tissue from a CJD patient is examined under a microscope, many tiny holes can be seen where whole areas of nerve cells have died. The word spongiform in transmissible spongiform encephalopathies refers to the sponge-like appearance of the brain tissue. Transmissible spongiform encephalopathy diseases are caused by prions. The diseases are thus sometimes called prion diseases. Other prion diseases include GSS, FFI, as well as BSE, CWD, and Alpers syndrome in infants is also thought to be a transmissible spongiform encephalopathy caused by a prion. The prion that is believed to cause Creutzfeldt-Jakob exhibits at least two stable conformations. One, the native state, is water-soluble and present in healthy cells. As of 2007, its biological function is presumably in transmembrane transport or signaling. The other conformational state is relatively water-insoluble and readily forms protein aggregates. People can also acquire CJD genetically through a mutation of the gene that codes for the prion protein. This occurs in only 5-10% to of all CJD cases. The CJD prion is dangerous because it promotes refolding of native proteins into the disease state. The number of misfolded protein molecules will increase exponentially and the process leads to a large quantity of insoluble protein in affected cells. This mass of misfolded proteins disrupts cell function and causes cell death. Mutations in the gene for the prion protein can cause a misfolding of the dominantly alpha helical regions into beta pleated sheets. This change in conformation disables the ability of the protein to undergo digestion. Once the prion is transmitted, the defective proteins invade the brain and are produced in a self-sustaining feedback loop. The defective protein can be transmitted by contaminated harvested human brain products, immunoglobulins, corneal grafts, dural grafts, or electrode implants. It can be inherited or it may appear for the first time in the patient. In the hereditary form, a mutation occurs in the gene for PRP. 10 to 15% of CJD cases are inherited. The disease has also been shown to result from use of human growth hormone obtained from the pituitary glands of persons who died from Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, though the known incidence of this cause is quite small. The risk of infection via cadaveric HGH in the U.S. ceased when the medication was withdrawn in 1985. 
It is thought that humans can contract the disease by consuming material from animals infected with the bovine form of the disease. The only suspected cases to arise thus far have been CJD, although there are fears based on animal studies that consuming beef or beef products containing prion particles can also cause the development of classic CJD. When BSE material infects humans, the resulting disease is known as a new variant CJD. Cannibalism has also been implicated as a transmission mechanism for abnormal prions, causing the disease known as Kuru, once found primarily among women and children in the Fori people of Papua New Guinea. While the men of the tribe ate the body of the deceased and rarely contracted the disease, the women and children who ate the less desirable body parts, including the brain, were eight times more likely than men to contract Kuru from infected tissue. Prions, the infectious agent of CJD, may not be inactivated by means of routine surgical instrument sterilization procedures. The World Health Organization and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend that instrumentation used in such cases be immediately destroyed after use. Short of destruction, it is recommended that heat and chemical decontamination be used in combination to process instruments that come in contact with high infectivity tissues. No cases of iatrogenic transmission of CJD have been reported subsequent to the adoption of current sterilization procedures or since 1976. Copper hydrogen peroxide has been suggested as an alternative to the current recommendation of sodium hydroxide or sodium hypochlorite. Thermal depolymerization also destroys prions in infected organic and inorganic matter since the process chemically attacks protein at the molecular level. As of 2011, no generally accepted treatment for CJD exists. The disease is invariable, fatal, and research continues. Cannibalism is the act or practice of humans eating the flesh or internal organs of other human beings. It is also called anthropophagy. A person who practices cannibalism is called a cannibal. The expression cannibalism has been extended into zoology to mean one individual of a species consuming all or part of another individual of the same species as food, including sexual cannibalism. Cannibalism was widespread in the past among humans in many parts of the world, continuing into the 19th century in some isolated South Pacific cultures and to the present day in parts of tropical Africa. In a few cases in insular Melanesia, indigenous flesh markets existed. Fiji was once known as the Cannibal Isles. Cannibalism has been well documented around the world, from Fiji to the Amazon Basin to the Congo to Maori, New Zealand. Neanderthals are believed to have practiced cannibalism, and Neanderthals may have been eaten by anatomically modern humans. Cannibalism has recently been both practiced and fiercely condemned in several wars, especially in Liberia and Congo. Today, the Korowai are one of very few tribes still believed to eat human flesh as a cultural practice. It is also still known to be practiced as a ritual and in wars in various Melanesian tribes. Historically, allegations of cannibalism were used by the colonial powers to justify the enslavement of what were seen as primitive peoples. Cannibalism has been said to test the bounds of cultural relativism as it challenges anthropologists to define what is or not beyond the pale of acceptable human behavior. Cannibalism is rare and is not illegal in most countries. People who eat human flesh are usually charged with crimes not relating to cannibalism, such as murder or desecration of a body. 
Cannibalism has been occasionally practiced as a last resort by people suffering from famine, including in modern times. A famous example is the ill-fated westward expedition of the Donner Party, and more recently the crash of Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, after which some survivors ate the bodies of dead passengers. Also, some mentally ill people obsess about eating others and actually do so, such as Jeffrey Dahmer and Albert Fish. There is resistance to formally labeling cannibalism as a mental disorder. In some societies, especially tribal societies, cannibalism is a cultural norm. Consumption of a person from within the same community is called endocannibalism. Ritual cannibalism of the recently deceased can be part of the grieving process or a way of guiding the souls of the dead into the bodies of living descendants. Exo-cannibalism is the consumption of a person from outside the community, usually as a celebration of victory against a rival tribe. Both types of cannibalism can also be fueled by the belief that eating a person's flesh or internal organs will endow the cannibal with some of the characteristics of the deceased. In most parts of the world, cannibalism is not a societal norm, but is sometimes resorted to in situations of extreme necessity. Cannibalism features in the folklore and legends of many cultures and is most often attributed to evil characters or as an extreme retribution for some wrong. Examples include the witch in Hansel and Gretel, Lama of Greek mythology, and Baba Yaga of Slavic folklore. A number of stories in Greek mythology involve cannibalism, in particular cannibalism of close family members, for example the story of Thyestes Terius and especially Cronus, who was Saturn in the Roman pantheon. The story of Tantalus also parallels this. The Wendigo is a creature appearing in the legends of the Allegwinian people. It is thought of variously as a malevolent cannibalistic spirit that could possess humans or a monster that humans could physically transform into. Those who indulged in cannibalism were at particular risk, and the legend appears to have reinforced this practice as taboo. Among modern humans, cannibalism has been practiced by various groups. In the past, it was practiced by humans in Europe, South America, among Iroquian peoples in North America, Maori in New Zealand, the Solomon Islands, parts of West Africa and Central Africa, some of the islands of Polynesia, New Guinea, Sumatra, and Fiji. Evidence of cannibalism has been found in ruins associated with the culture of the southwestern United States as well. As for the continuation of information on cannibalism, I will stop there, as there is an endless amount of research at your fingertips for those interested in digging further into the subject. Or, for a more cinematic approach, I would suggest watching the original Wes Craven Hills Have Eyes, or Ruggiero Deodato's Cannibal Holocaust, two great horror classics that are of course in my movie library. As for now, I would say that this case is open. So the final word on Our Town, Good people, good food. Good and kiss it goodbye, but hold on to your love because your heart's gonna die. Good and say goodbye to our town, to our town. Can't you see the sun's going down on our town? What's going on out there? What's out there for our town? 
The first little bit I have for you is another top 15 episodes list, even though last time was top 10. This one comes from listverse.com, and they put Our Town as number 15 on their list. I will admit it, this isn't an easy inclusion, and it could be my bias squeezing this one to the list over cinematic masterpieces such as Humbug and Postmodern Prometheus. Hardcore fans will recognize these masterful episodes, of course, and to those of you new to The X-Files, be sure to check them out. But Our Town makes it to number 15, as horror was one of the fundamentals when putting together this list. This episode has the potential to scare the hell out of anyone because of the unsettling tribal masks and axes it features. There is something very secretive going on in this town, and you can guess that it's taboo. It injects just the right amount of science and history into the storyline, and tries to give the whole account a plausible edge, something The X-Files has always tried to do in most of their episodes. It succeeds, and establishes the morbidity of The X-Files, something on which the show thrived. Now, I have to agree completely. I think a lot of people, when they make their top favorites list, that they wouldn't probably ever think of this episode, but it really is a scary episode because maybe the whole fact of people consuming human flesh would make them younger isn't as believable, but the fact that maybe other people would believe it and then in turn kill other people to do this ritual, that's totally believable. Completely believable that other, you know, people would start killing just to <laughs> stay younger. So in that turn, it makes it so scary. The next review I have for you is Eye of Polyphemus. Our town is a personal favorite. It is one of those episodes that features a small town full of weird people who all share a terrifying secret. It is completely implausible that such a thing could actually occur, yet it can be pulled off splendidly within the internal logic of the X-Files. It is a classic. My only real beef with the episode, Scully is the damsel in distress yet again. She fosters a certain chivalrous notion. Fantasizing about rescuing her from the clutches of evil, well, that is a guy thing. But this comes just a few episodes after she suffered a totally emotional breakdown over being kidnapped and nearly killed in Irresistible. Here, she is about to be beheaded by a guy in a witch doctor's mask in some sort of demonic ritual. I think that is a wee bit more traumatic. But once again, Mulder saves her, and she shrugs it off. She is a tough woman, granted, but that is a wee bit too much. Our town is particularly gross, too. Chicken entrails are the least of it. Whole skeletons are laid out upon being dredged up from the river, with Scully nushing while arranging bones into the proper body. Mulder finds a display cabinet full of severed heads in the living room of the Chaco Mansion. The climactic ritual in which Scully is about to be killed is incredibly intense and disturbing. The whole episode is morbid, but with a sick sense of humor, too. Rating 3 out of 5. Now, as you guys probably heard, uh, this review touched on the fact that Scully is yet is the damsel in distress yet again, and I mentioned that in my review, and I thought it was important to include this review because, while yes, 
I do agree that she's put in this situation, and I think absolutely this situation is more frightening than the other. I think that certain situations affect people differently. Yes, this may seem scary, scarier than irresistible overall, but I think that since the murders in Irresistible were of women and were of, you know, women being defiled, I think that hit her more personally and kind of maybe touched on a, a certain fear inside of her that, you know, working with all of this, that she would be killed by someone like this. Or, you know, women fear all the time that we're going to be attacked because we're vulnerable or because we may not be as strong as men. Um, to, to be killed in a, a scary demonic ritual, that's not just something that we internalize and freak out about. So it may freak her out overall, and she may just be in shock at the end when she's saved. So it seems like she's shrugging it off, but it's just, she's, it's not hitting her as personal as the other case. I don't know. That's just kind of what I think. Um, but I do agree that putting her in uh, distress is kind of, kind of something lame to do, um, only because it was just supposed to make things all emotional and whatnot, but they could have done it in another way, I guess. However, I do believe that overall this review is right on that this episode is gross, <laughs> and there are a lot of really disturbing things, and that's what's out there for our town. Is that you'll be there when I return? From Anna's out to Lakewood's fields, this is our town. This is who we're meant to be. This is our town where our roots have grown so deep. This is our town. This is where we're meant. Character Profiles Profiles in Character This week's profile, Fox Mulder, Season 2 The mysterious disappearance of Mulder's sister and his ensuing search for her became the consuming drive of his life. In 1982, Mulder graduated from Oxford University with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Psychology. He then graduated with honors from the Quantico FBI Training Academy in 1984. Mulder joined the FBI on October 24, 1986, and upon graduating from the Academy, Mulder began his work in the Behavioral Science Unit under Agent Bill Patterson, with whom he had a testing relationship. In 1988, the FBI assigned Mulder to the Violent Crimes Unit. Around this time, Mulder first came across the X-Files, an obscure FBI section dealing with cases relating to the paranormal. He poured over these cases in his spare time, becoming obsessed with them. In 1991, Mulder reopened the X-Files with Special Agent Diana Fowley, but Fowley left shortly thereafter. Mulder investigated the X-Files by himself until March 1992, when Dana Scully, an instructor at the FBI Academy, was partnered with him for the purpose of applying scientific reasoning to Mulder's work and theories. Mulder's ultimate goal was to uncover what he believed to be a government conspiracy to hide the truth about alien life, and to find out what had happened to his sister. 
His quest and belief in the existence of aliens was, for most of the series, the driving force of the plot or the mythology. After Season 1's ender during the Erlenmeyer Flask debacle in which Deep Throat was killed and the X-Files were shut down, Mulder was tasked with routine general assignment duties following the X-Files closure, but had several random encounters with the paranormal including an experience of a possible alien visitation and the discovery of a being that he initially believed to be a giant blood-sucking worm. Mulder considered leaving the FBI at this point, but soon after he was temporarily reassigned to the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, where he returned to his previous assignment as a behavioral profiler. Shortly following this reassignment, Mulder was partnered with Special Agent Alex Krychek and worked on two cases with him. After discovering evidence that Krychek had been complicit in the recent abduction of Agent Scully, the X-Files were reopened and Mulder alone was reassigned to investigate the cases. Mulder later recalled that he had worked his ass off to get the files reopened. Krychek did not return to working for the FBI, but Mulder would have many encounters with him in the future. As Scully was found shortly after Mulder investigated a single case alone, he subsequently continued to investigate the X-Files with her. Mulder remained on the X-Files with Scully for the next few years, but fears over the continuation of the files were voiced later on by two of their associates. A time later, the agents embark on further X-Files cases that lead them to deadly life forms inside an active volcano, a rural religious cult, ghostly nursing home attacks, serial killing genetic transference, a death fetishist who abducts Agent Scully, satanic religious occultists, and voodoo priests in a Haitian refugee camp. Mulder and Scully next encounter a morphine alien bounty hunter and the possible return of Mulder's sister Samantha, who actually turns out to be a clone, who is returned to Mulder's parents and who must be exchanged for a once again abducted Agent Scully. We see the heartbreak that Mulder experiences as he once again loses his sister. Mulder is also introduced to a man who goes by the name of X, who in essence is the confidant, informant, and replacement for Deep Throat for the meantime. Other X-Files cases tackled this season include alien hotspots and abductions near a zoo, both Mulder and Scully experiencing rapid aging aboard a Navy vessel, they experience a taste of the circus life with sideshow acts and a murdering, disjoining congenital twin, a possessed devil child, a prison outbreak of a bug carrying a disease causing parasite, a black hole of a man, and strange cannibalistic secrets surrounding a chicken processing plant. Season 2 also has Mulder uh, possibly getting a little romantic with a young lady, as well as killing someone for the second time. Season 2 ends with Mulder obtaining a digital tape containing Defense Department secrets that finds him traveling to New Mexico and to the discovery of a buried boxcar containing bodies that he was pretty damn sure weren't human, that from the look of it were alien, in our next episode on Asazi. We will revisit the profile of Fox Mulder upon our conclusion of Season 3.
Have you checked your email? I found these in my email this morning. And now, the female with the emails, Agent Chelsea. All right, if you want to send us your thoughts and feedback on the episode, feel free to email us at xfilestruth at live.com. Also, you can check out our Facebook page, search X-Files Truth Podcast, like our timeline, and feel free to go through all of our amazing posts and post on our wall your thoughts on the episode or just your thoughts in general on the show. Uh, We'd appreciate hearing from you. Also, you can leave us a iTunes review and give us a rating out of five stars. Tell people why you like our show and what is your favorite part about it. Also, you can check out our website, which is xfilestruth.com. There you can see all the links that we talk about in this episode, as well as all of the music that we've played. And you can leave a comment at the bottom of basically any of the pages on there. Also, our contact information is there in case you needed uh, to get in contact with us in any other way. And we hope to hear from you all. Thanks, guys. time on X-Files Truth. Agent Mulder creates far-reaching and international consequences when a computer hacker entrusts him with a digital tape copy of the highly classified MJ documents, which contain information detailing the government's knowledge of UFOs for the past 50 years. X-Files DNA. Today's end theme that I injected with X-Files DNA is an acoustic guitar version of the X-Files main theme. I found it on YouTube. There's no artist listed. So we have one episode left. If you guys want to get in touch with us, now's the time. Last chance before season two ends. Email us at xfilestruth at live.com or visit the website xfilestruth.com. And thanks for listening. For Agent Chelsea, Agent M, and Agent Stone, this is Agent Shadow. See you in two weeks for Anasazi.
She's not stable. She's one of us now, part of our town. Folk tales dating back to the 19th century from the Ozarks describe people being taken away by fireballs. Unless we do something about it, there won't be any town left to speak of. No. It's supposed to be the spirits of massacred Indians. Sheriff, if you don't want to do it, I can get some of my men down here to do it. I'll do it. It's the FBI we should be worrying about. Scully? Scully? Scully, what happened? Century Fox. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.